Hi, this is Sheila Jackson, founder of Eve's Lime Productions. For the last decade, I have been uncovering the stories of black women in rock. And while the goal is to bring those stories to you in film, this is a subject that deserves multiple platforms. So welcome to Five Pounds of Rock, a podcast that showcases unique, bold black women from around the globe who have been called to rock music and the rock life. It's a celebration of our freedom, our heritage, our music, and the legacy of our rock roots. Hi, I'm with Carolyn Honeychild Coleman, and welcome to Five Pounds of Rock. It has been, what, almost, oh gosh, since 2012, since we, since I interviewed you last, right? For the... Oh, wow blog version of five pounds of rock so it's been a minute i know a lot of things have changed um mm-hmm. but one thing that hasn't changed i just have always seen your work as so intentional you know and even from the way that you do your videos your photography all of it and just Throughout the throughout the decades, you know, you've been a solo artist, you've been in bands, you know, you had your first record with Badawi and you were with Apollo Heights and you were Dems and, you know, so you've been solo and you've been with bands. I wanted to ask you just from that context, what what is it that you're looking for in terms of an experience or mission in in your work, you know how you choose to work as a solo artist versus being in a in a band. What determines that for you? Uh, I actually mm-hmm. I wasn't one of those people who started off in bands um, because I got into playing music a bit later in life by like the average standard. Like I didn't start playing or even thinking about music seriously until in my mid to late twenties, um, which I think we spoke about before. But uh, I didn't because I was starting at this kind of awkward age and I also wasn't really in an environment where Mm -hmm. there were other women starting bands around me, that wasn't my go-to idea. My go-to idea was, Oh, I like music and I want to write songs and I want to play guitar. So that was how I approached it. Um, Once I did start writing, I felt like, okay, where does someone who doesn't have a band go? Because the style and genres that I'm into, I don't see women in my community, let alone black women, playing rock alone. And because because I don't have a band behind me, uh, I felt like venue owners and promoters didn't really know what to do with me either. And then I had the nerve (laughs) to throw some drum machine in. So, like, (laughs) I literally was just like, well, you know, I'm just trying to make music. And I don't want to say being Mm -hmm. in a band was an afterthought because I had sang in bands before. Once I became the writer, the dynamic shifted. And, yeah, that was the beginning of my challenge as to where am I going with this? What do I want to do? And at the time... um, you know, for the listeners who didn't read the original interview, I was in the Bay Area at the time, and right. I felt like the community I needed wasn't there. So I took a chance and thought, well, you know, a friend of mine invited me to spend like a month or some time in the summer in New York, 
and he had been in, in Berkeley with me and we'd done some collaborations together. It's my friend Oren, who's a poet and a visual artist also. So he kind of understood what I was trying to do. And he came home and he's like, you know, there's some things happening in the East Village you might want to check out. You know, maybe you should just come here and, you know, I'm alone for the summer, so I have room if you want to stay with me. So I thought, huh, I feel like this is a sign that I need to go see if there's a place for me yeah. in New York to express myself the way I'm trying to. And that was the beginning of everything kind of coming together. Um, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but I basically found different artists in different genres right. who wanted to work with me. By yeah, different. and how... You're originally from Kentucky, right? So, so how do your Kentucky roots influence your musical sound? I mean, we all know about the blues route to rock, but you really landed more in the punk space for a good part of your career. Uh, I would say the Kentucky mm -hmm. root influence for me has been the folk influence. Just growing up as a student there, we had incredible music yeah. programs in public schools in the 70s and 80s. And a lot of the music that everyone learned was folk-based. So even though I wasn't seeing Black people make this music, it was just a part of the thread of the culture. And to hear someone play mandolin or dulcimer or fiddle or these more acoustic uh, grassroots traditional American instruments wasn't uncommon. And then I was really into 60s music and 60s songwriting. So being in Berkeley, that kind of validated the love I already had as far as like, oh yeah, I, I like country music up to the 70s. I like this type of uh, acoustic music. Um, I like Gil Scott Heron, I like Richie Havens, I like Odetta, but I also love the Beatles, I love the Birds. So all of those things were huge influences. Um, and it, the radio in Kentucky was also pretty mixed. So I feel like maybe I like so many types of music because I was brought up in an environment where that was considered normal. Yeah, and in the 70s especially, yeah. And everyone listened to everything. Mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s and so being once I started to play like my first guitar was a hollow body um, electric guitar I, I wasn't really attracted to the sound of nylon strings I knew I wanted to play electric guitar but I liked the bigness of the sound of the hollow body so that influenced my guitar playing as well and that also led me to play bass so all of these things kind of were different branches on the tree of just my sound influence yeah and and now you're with the 1865 band which i have been just digging the music and just the message the powerful messages even though you guys started you know when i first listened to the music i said i figured you must have started in 2020 but you started in back in 2017 and the band was started by sasha jenkins who's a musician and a Sasha filmmaker. And I started okay. the band, yep. So the two of you started the band. Exactly. Um, what was the impetus for that? Right. Uh, being fans of history, mm -hmm. um, I mean, Sasha basically was brainstorming on this idea that, um, you know, when you look at indie rock and what's happening, one, 
at that moment, indie rock wasn't so popular with younger people mm-hmm. on a mainstream level. But the indie rock bands that were were bands like the White Stripes and the Black Keys and, you know, all these bands that are deeply influenced by black music. So the question came to be, where's the black band who is uplifting this history and these roots and this legacy and owning it? And on top of that, just politically, what was happening, um, he thought of me because he knew my punk background, my Kentucky background. He knew that the things that I like to speak about in what I create. And yeah, I just, once I heard the concept, I was on board. We started writing right away. Um, thankfully, instant creative chemistry and we had fun doing it. And, you know, eventually the members changed as far as who's playing live with us. But um, the original mission is still there. Yeah, I love it. To talk about what it's like to be black in America and, and history then versus now, what's the same? Yeah, there's one lyric that I love. I'm taking my freedom without warning. I think a lot of people can mm-hmm. can relate to that right now <laughs> in this current climate. Definitely. Um, and this, yeah, it's, it's like a... A lot of people who are not used to their black friends and colleagues being outspoken are very shook. But at the same time, um, it's exciting to see so much support for people who feel comfortable speaking out now. Yeah, feel safe. So there's a lot of change happening. It's a big shift. Yeah, definitely. And I see even with your music, just like. I know you, your music was featured in Pariah and then more recently in the series, the Netflix series, Woke. And I just think it's such a great space for punk music. And I love the the message of that series and just the experience of the main character in that series of, you know, being the victim of a police, a police violence, of police brutality to some degree. And um, I just think punk music as a genre can really offer a powerful response to the times that we're in right now. And your videos, I mean, the videos I watch, they just, they're like little mini documentaries. <laughs> I, I, I love mm-hmm. making videos. Like I, I'm a visual person. I, I, I studied art pretty much most of my life until I started playing music. And I feel like a video is like a movie. It's a, it's a small window of time to tell a big story. And I really love every aspect of video making. Mm-hmm. From, it's my first time actually having illustrations in a video, but um, nor did I direct any of the 1865 videos. But I love storyboarding. I love planning. I love every facet of it. And it's a really, I'll be real, real with you. Up until a point, I reached mm-hmm. uh a moment in my life as a listener and music fan right. I felt a bit disappointed that people's initial introduction to music was only through video. Like, oh, well, you like the song because you like the video, but does the song stand on its own? And because that's happened, a lot of really cool videos from like the 90s and the early aughts, they didn't stand the test of time musically. And you might remember a lot of things that looked amazing, but you don't remember the song, let alone the message. So I really kind of made a mental mm-hmm. effort to 
uh, craft things that can stand on their own. Whether you are from New York or not, you're American or not, you know what we look like or not, that the music still can stand up. So, but with that said, yes, I love making videos and I, I really feel blessed with the team of people that have been helping us like get our creative vision together as far as those things go. Um, I look forward to more. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. What's been your COVID journey just as an artist in New York? I don't know what the, well, I know a little bit about what the climate's like there. I do have some, some colleagues in New York, but I know LA has been a little different in some ways in terms of our own kind of COVID journey. Uh, well, m much like most of my colleagues, uh, all of my work came to a grinding halt March 15th. Uh, up until then, I had three permanent DJ gigs, band gigs at least twice a month, and then other freelance work. I was still writing the whole time and, and focused on like, okay, when this stops, you know, we'll record, we'll start to do things. But toward the end of the summer, I actually did start doing live shows outdoors. And oh, cool. Yeah, because after like June, July, New York, I think, uh, I don't re remember the date, but some cafes in Manhattan and other places did start to kind of have outdoor things. They started building sidewalk seating and just extending the parameters of where people could be. And I started to work with an artist friend of mine, Constance Patton, who was already, she spearheaded this whole movement in Soho of putting art on all the boarded up windows. And mm -hmm. she was working with the salon called Fringe. And they invited me to come and play music while she did live painting. So we did two of those. Um, then my, my uh, bandmate, Jason, aka Biz, was doing a residency at Mass Mocha. So mm -hmm. we, I went to Massachusetts and did an outdoor show with him in this huge, amazing space that was like ridiculously socially distanced. Like everyone was like 10 feet apart. Um, then after that, um, in the meantime, Rebelmatic started to do complete DIY pop-up shows on the street in Bushwick. Like they just invested in a sound system and they did these shows every week for like five months straight. So in that realm, um, my other band Backslider played at the pop-up show and then later the 1865 also did. And then later, mm -hmm. the 1865 also played at Lincoln Center outdoors. So venues and um, organizations are definitely revisiting what it means to produce arts in the city. And I feel like in New York, we have that unique experience that things are really accessible. You know, most people here don't have cars. Um, it's easy to yeah. get to these spaces. And we have a lot of public spaces and parks and things like that. And I, I feel like already this summer, I haven't gone to any shows yet, but there's a show happening. There's more than one show happening every weekend and in new spots compared to last year. Yes, yes. So you were a part of the Sister Girl Riot era and also which coincided with, you know, kind of the emergence of Afropunk at the same time. Do you feel like that, movement or that scene is is becoming vibrant again or do you think it's being kind of occupied now by punk the punk black movement which i've heard is kind of spreading in new york um, what's happening on the the punk rock scene in terms of 
I guess just collaboration and people coming together more formally to advance the scene. Yeah, I mean, I can only really speak on uh, the scene I can speak on the most is probably, you know, the scene that I'm in with with the AK-65, mm-hmm. with Rebelmatic, with Ma'afa, with uh, Fear is Dead, with um, Universe Ignore Her. Like, we started oh, okay. our own residency at Max Fish, and that has just, that's how mm-hmm. the pop-up scene kind of started for us. And we do invite other bands in, but we have a core community and we have a core group of people that pretty much once you come to one of those shows, you follow all those bands. And it's been really organic. That's a great way to build audience. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, we all support each other. You know, even if I can't go to someone's show, like I'm constantly sharing everyone's posts because we want everyone to feel the love and that support and expose people. As far as the Sister Girls go, um, we haven't done an actual live show since the last show we did at CBGB's, which uh, we were already throwing that show anyway. So we collaborated with James Spooner when he was still in charge of Afropunk to link it on to the festival. Mm-hmm. We haven't played since then. We've been talking about it. We're all super in touch and super tight. And I probably speak to Simi the most right now because she's also playing violin with the 1865 and some niche things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm really amazed to see and kind of uh, touched by is there is starting to be some, not hype, but interest bubbling around the sister girls in the social media world like literally twice a week now i'll see a random post about us yeah from complete strangers linking us to the riot girl movement saying why isn't this included why don't we know more about this and that is not something i probably thought i would ever see to be honest um <laughs> so that it's exciting to know we're in a new era where people are actually looking for us and looking for other sister girls yeah who maybe weren't part of our shows but are part of the idea of why we started it exactly exactly super exciting yeah and you know i love that dialogue super because it's become acceptable Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just like even uh not even 10 years ago it was still a little problematic to see a sister with a guitar leading a band like it's normalized now yeah. So that's exciting and amazing. And, you know, there are a lot of women who, you know, like Kat Dyson, I, I bring to mind because I know her, who have been in the industry for a long time. And they're these amazingly talented seasoned players and writers. Um, I think the industry doesn't see them as much of, as, as much of a threat, even though they should, because they're not the leader of the band that they appear with, which is a disrespect. Anyway, because, you know, the hoops we got to jump through to even get on stage. (laughs) So to see, you know, sisters like Kat be elevated finally, to see uh, Big Joni be elevated, to see Mm -hmm. the Nova Twins be elevated. It is so thrilling. It just means if you're a hungry person who just found out we all exist, you're looking for everything because that's how it works. Yeah. And I'm excited to hear just about more of that collaborative environment where artists are elevating each other because mm-hmm. I think that that's where it all is going to continue to grow from. And then to be able yeah. to cultivate the audience together is is the thing, you know, in a supportive environment. 
Definitely, definitely. So, so what is coming up musically from 1865 or from or from you as a solo artist? What's what's next? What's new? Um Well, the 1865, we're in the middle of recording a new EP. Mm-hmm. We did some recordings with Flora and Biz at um Applehead Studios in Woodstock. That's the same facility where we recorded our first album, Don't Tread on We, so shout out to Chris and Mike. But um, our plan is to, you know, we've all just been vaccinated and we're all like really taking care of our health. Once all that's cleared, we are planning to get back in the studio and finish that EP. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of our nearest thing we're hoping to do in the next few months. Me, I am starting to book shows again July 18th, I'm doing a Lise DeVal directed vinyl session, and um, I'm promoting it now so people can order. How it works is people select a song from my list, and if they have a special greeting or a shout-out they want me to say at the beginning of the recording, I do it in real time, and it gets cut directly to the late vinyl. There's only one take. No one else has that copy. However it's recorded, that's it. There's no overdubs. They literally like cut it, wrap it, and mail it to you. So I wow. did one of these in September, and it was super fun. Um, I was recording for like two hours straight. Some songs I recorded like ten times in a row. <laughs> um, and and I, you know, it's very like 1950s, like when you watch La Bamba, and he's like, "Okay, do it again." Bamba, like you're literally like, "Okay," and I'm doing it again. This song goes out to so and so. So you're like kind of like a radio announcer, but then. I started just playing faster and faster and faster. So it was super fun. This session is going to be a little different because it's more electronic and dream pop themed. Mm -hmm. So I won't just be playing guitar, but I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. So that's my next big project. Well, that's great. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me and and getting me up to date on on your journey and I can't wait to see how things continue to unfold as we as we step out into this kind of new 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 normal and new world and post I want to say post covid cuz I'm claiming it you know <laughs> Yeah yeah it's 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 definitely not going to be uh, the world as we knew it before but I think that's a good thing to be honest uh, yeah, I think we have an opportunity to do things differently, to be even more creative. And I think especially for black women in rock, it's an opportunity to be more creative about how you engage audiences and cultivate your audience. So thanks again. And five pounds of rock to you. No, thanks. This has been fun. Thanks for listening to Five Pounds of Rock a production of Eve's Line. For more information, visit evesline.com or blackwomeninrock.com. And to hear the music of these artists, check out the Black Women in Rock playlist on Spotify.